Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 58. And today's episode is brought to you by the Mapped Out Money resources page, which we recently just updated to add a whole bunch of books and other things too. Basically, the resources page is an area that we try to keep updated with our favorite books, podcasts, YouTube channels uh, that we follow to learn more about money, uh, health, self-improvement, all kind of the topics that we end up touching on on this show. Also, if you want to support our show, you can go to mapped.money.com slash resources because if you click on any of the book links, those are Amazon affiliate links. And if you purchase using our link, uh, we will get a little bit of kickback, which is helpful for us. So check that out if that sounds interesting to you. Mapped.money.com forward slash resources. Today we're diving into the Goodert's Good Hearts. I always said Good Hearts Law. Good Hearts Law. <laughs> Can you? Hey, we got this Goodert's Law over here. I think it probably is Goodert's. I think it probably there's is. probably a silent letter in there somewhere, but we speak redneck, so it's, it's, it's Good, good Hearts Law. It's Good H A R T is his last name. So what is that? Well, uh, I feel like I'm like setting you up for an infomercial. No. <laughs> so tell us what is what is this Goodert's Law? Uh, Goodert's Law by definition, is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. But that's a little bit vague, so it, it's easier to understand when we start talking about examples. And there's this great uh, essay from David Perel, who wrote extensively about this law and how it comes out in all sorts of unexpected ways in our world. And we're going to obviously apply this to finances and how it comes out with your money. But to set this up a little more and try to explain how this law works and why when you focus too much on a measure and trying to you know make that measure a target then all of a sudden that measure becomes uh not very good anymore and some of the examples that david gives in his article are some really famous ones one i thought was so crazy is um this rat sort of population problem yeah so the cities were being overrun by rats yeah so there's this local government that they basically were like well let's put a bounty on rat tails. And so that will incentivize, you know, our population to kill these rats and make sure that, you know, our cities aren't as infested. Well, people started to catch rats, cut the tails off of them, and then release them to breed so that it would make more rats that they could then cut the tails off of and release to breed and then so turn into tails for short, money. The rat population increased. It increased, which is crazy. Then the other example he gives is Soviet factories. They were being rewarded for the number of nails that they produced. And so they started making like these really crappy, tiny, useless nails. <laughs> Super small nails. Yeah, but they were making a ton of them. So making more they were money. doing great. Yeah. yeah. But obviously the nails are useless. And then the one that I think we've all experienced is like grades in school. David Perel talks about how grades are a good measure of learning if students aren't pursuing grades as the end goal. And I know I was guilty of that. Oh, I was 100% I guilty of that. That's all yeah. I cared about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are some quotes from the David Perel article. Students who focus solely on grades probably won't learn the way we want them to. They'll follow curriculum instead of their curiosity and build easy to quantify skills instead of interesting ones. And then he also says, teachers stop productive classroom discussion so they can follow the lesson plan. But as any creative person knows, the best ideas come from the kinds of tangents we disincentivize. 
And then it says, our grades-driven, curriculum-dependent school culture assumes that only what we can measure is real and that everything real can be measured. This really hit home for me because obviously um, you and I know this about each other, but the way that you and I did school, certainly in college, is 100% focused on grades. Totally. I didn't study what I thought was interesting. I studied what I knew the teacher was going to test you on. Yep. That's all I cared about. And... I don't I don't think it was right, but I I was very much concerned about trying to make the right grades and that was the way I was incentivized. So, you know, it was funny. I can sit here and and point to a bunch of students that I technically made higher grades than that are way better at engineering. Well, um I think he wasn't an engineering, he was a computer guy, and I won't say his last name, but Jackson is a great example yeah. of not not falling into the Yes. Goodert's law trap. Yep. Um, so he was in computer science. As a friend of ours. Yeah. And he figured out, you know, basically really early on kind of that he was into app development and um, in particular, like he was developing all these little games in his free time. Yep. And he ended up getting a job with a, a startup in the, the city where our college was. And they were trying to get him to drop out of school. But he got that job because while he was in school, he was like, I'm just going to do what I need to get by. So he made like B's and C's. Yep. And then he spent all of his time actually developing apps and doing all these things that he was super interested in. And so that led to him getting in with this startup company that he was also really interested in. Yep. I just remember being really impressed that he could do that, that he, he was so... He was able to see through the facade of yeah. the... The goofy wrong measurement. Yeah. Yeah. I always needed the validation of grades. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled with that. So coming back to like these examples, we actually went over a tweet a couple of weeks ago from Trung Pham, who had, you know, basically compiled this whole list of all these unintended consequences from laws and stuff that were put into place. And that's exactly what this sort of, you know, Goodert's law is getting at is when you are so focused on this precise measurement of something, then you can end up with all these unintended consequences, which basically tells you, great, so I should just not measure things? Like I, because now all of a sudden, if I'm focused too much on these measurements, then they become useless. Is that Mm -hmm. what it's saying? And that kind of leads me into my frustration when I first read about this and my frustration with this concept when I first, because to me, I'm like, okay, great, I agree you know, incentivizing nail production obviously had unintended consequences and rat tails but it's and like you school have grades. To measure something. But at the same time, like we, d- if we don't measure anything, then how can we ever get better at something? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of always been my frustration with this. Certainly in finances, is like, well, if we just don't measure anything, how do we know we're getting any better with our money? But obviously, if you focus too much on it, it has unintended consequences. So like most things in life, you know, as Jocko would say, there's a dichotomy here. You kind of gotta pull from from both ends of the extremes, if you will. So John Doerr is somebody who talks about this in a really helpful way, I think, especially when it comes to business. Um, so he's basically got three, would you call these steps? Yeah, three I, would, I would call them steps. Parts? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing is to ask why. And so a compelling why is the launch pad for our objectives because that's he frames everything as objectives and key results. So OKRs. Yep. People may have heard that. Why do you want to track this thing and what are you actually trying to improve? Okay, so then the second thing is objectives, a.k.a. the what. 
So you want to make sure that your objectives are significant and action-oriented, inspiring, and thought-clarifying. So they should protect you from fuzzy thinking. And then third, we have our results, and that is the hows. So your results should be specific and time-bound, aggressive but realistic, and measurable and verifiable. Yeah, I think I think a way to almost like summarize these three things, if you will, is recognizing that, okay, you can't just operate without measurements. We have to measure something. So there's a certain amount of time that we should spend on the front end trying to make sure we're picking the right measurement. But then what I like about when you get down to his time-bound piece is when it's when you're setting a time-bound thing, that gives you a natural opportunity to then reassess the measurement yeah, and, and regularly go, okay, we've been doing this for three months, six months, a year, whatever. Um, is this still the right thing to be measuring or should we kind of change this up? And so that's what's nice about these three steps is they're repeatable for you uh, in any endeavor that you're trying to improve upon. So we want to go through some examples, particularly ones tied to finance, um, but we're really not going to use the OKR language, really. Yeah, I don't think you have to do... So OKRs, they're objective and key results. And if you've worked, if you've ever worked with like a big company, like a big corporation, there's a good chance that you've used OKRs at your job. Feels a little overkill when you're talking about It's a little overkill when you're just talking about personal finance, I think. But the same basic framework of coming up with your why. Your why, your what, and your how. Yeah, your why, your what, and your how. So going through this with money, this really gets back to like a really, really foundational important point of why are you listening to this podcast in the first place? Like, why did you click on a finance podcast to listen to? Why are you trying to improve your money at all? And you have to start there because that's going to inform what you should be measuring. Some examples of things you, you know, reasons you might be doing this would be you just want to be able to pay your bills without stress. You don't want to worry about can you make rent next month. You might be doing it because you really want to take care of yourself during retirement and not have to rely on your family. You might be doing it to support your family, right? Maybe you want to give your kids good opportunities or take care of your parents. Maybe you care about money because you want to fulfill some dreams that you have, travel some beautiful places, pursue some interests that you've always wanted to. Um, and then obviously another you know, big reason what got us into the, a lot of this in the first place was job flexibility. We wanted to take good care of our money and manage our money well so that we weren't necessarily, you know, stuck in a certain job or career path. So you need to get clear on why you're trying to get better with money because from that, then we can decide what you end up wanting to measure. Okay, so for the second part of this, our what what you should really be focusing on is brainstorming all the different things that you could measure. So you could measure saving a certain amount by a certain date. You could measure breaking the paycheck to paycheck cycle or getting one month ahead with your money or saving a certain percentage every month. So all of those could be a measure for the whys that you laid out in that first kind of step. And this is, you know, if you listen to other other finance podcasts or other, you know, if you read other personal finance books, you know, every sort of person has their own thing that they like to track, right? Maybe they like to track, uh, if you use a budgeting tool called YNAB, they like to track age of money. That's a measurement. If you listen to the financial independence retire early crowd, they like to track savings rate. What percentage of your income are you saving? Uh, if you listen to uh, Dave Ramsey, I think his his big one is, you know, getting out of debt, a $1,000 emergency fund, but then uh, I think it's a 
is his his recommended investment, right? So he wants you to get up to saving 15% for investing, right? So there's all these different measurements that different people have that you could track with your money. The point is start with the why and then you go, okay, now that I've brainstormed all the things I could track, which ones of these really are going to be the most helpful for me in my pursuit of my why? And so then that kind of naturally leads us to the third step, which is the results or the how, which more or less the the way to think about this is actually putting everything we just did into some sort of goal format with a time. So maybe you said, okay, well, my big why, why I care about money is I want to buy a house that I can raise my family and that we're really comfortable in, a dream house. Great. So then the objective would be probably saving a certain amount of money saving a specific amount of money for a down payment. And then the result would be, okay, what's the time period? When are you going to do that? You want to save X amount of money by this future date. Okay, let's do another one. If you want to go back to your why, maybe your why is you want to be adequately prepared for retirement so that you don't have to rely on your kids and you're able to take care of yourself. Okay, cool. So what's an objective that makes sense to track for that one? Well, for that one, probably tracking uh, savings rate, the percentage of your income that you're actually investing into retirement accounts, that's probably one of the best ones you could track. So then the results would be whatever you're doing right now. Maybe you're doing 2%, 3%, 5% right now, and maybe you want to slowly ratchet that up to 10% over the course of the next year, right? That would be an example of, of how you could set this. So and, by such and such date. Right. By next year, this date, I want to be at 10% of my monthly income is going to retirement accounts or something okay. like that. Another one that you could do that wouldn't even necessarily be specifically uh, numbers-based would be more about a feeling, right? Like, why are you doing this? Well, you might just want to actually feel not so stressed out about money, right? You want to feel like you're on top of things and you're not always wondering what you're going to do next month. Maybe that's your why. Well, if we then brainstorm things we could track around that, one thing that we could track would be actually getting ahead, or we could track the amount of times that we balance our budget, because a lot of just feeling on track and not stressed out about money is having a certain level of awareness for where it's at. And so then that leads into our result that we might want to focus on would be a habit-based result, where we would do something like check my budget every day and categorize the transactions from yesterday. Right. So if you're using a budgeting tool that is automatically pulling in your transactions, there's normally some level of work that you need to make sure they got categorized correctly. And so if you did that for five minutes a day, then you're going to all of a sudden start working towards that why of actually feeling like you're on top of things and you're not as stressed out. You know where the money's going and you can kind of have a good handle on what's what's happening in your finances. I think another good way to look at this and to to manage kind of what Good Arts Law is trying to to bring to our attention is by picking an objective goal and a habit based yeah. kind of goal. Yep. And that's what we encourage students to do in ahead in 100. And so like those examples that you, you just gave, you know, if you're, if you're really focused on your finances, then maybe kind of go through this process and pick one that is very objective and is very much like this amount of money by this date right. or this, something like this that. This much debt paid down by right. this date or this credit card paid off by this date, whatever. And then do another one that's much more focused on you just building good habits around your money. 
So I, I like that. I like that you pulled that in. So before we move move on, I kind of want to circle back to, in some ways, what we opened up this podcast with to really drive drive home the point of like why and how important this is and where this does go wrong with finances. I think it's easy to think like, oh, I'm trying to improve my finances and I'm measuring this to improve my fi- I mean, how could that really go how wrong? How could that be bad, right? Yeah. And you would think that on the surface, but it actually, it actually can. And I've seen it firsthand, you know, inside the communities that we're in. One of the things that you have to be careful of when you get hyper-focused on a certain measurement, especially, for example, uh, savings rate, right? And I'm not trying to be disparaging to the FIRE movement. I have a ton of friends who are would consider themselves retired early and would consider themselves uh, very much a part of the the FIRE movement, if you will. And you can do that in a really good and healthy you way. You can absolutely do it in a super healthy way. But like everything, you can also do it in a really unhealthy when way. When you're so focused <laughs> on the measurement, it can have unintended consequences. And so what ends up happening or what can end up happening with some people is they're so focused on increasing that savings percentage that all of a sudden they start significantly sacrificing quality of life, which ends up sacrificing sometimes relationships that they're in uh, with their family, with their spouses, with friends. And all of a sudden, you can end up hitting financial independence really early, but kind of have killed a lot of good things Well, and almost felt aimless. Yeah, felt aimless. There. And there, there's this great, I shouldn't say great, but there's this this tweet from Ramit Sethi, who is a financial author that I that I really like. He had tweeted this out earlier this year. And it's, it's just a screenshot of a, a Reddit post. And I'm just going to read it. It's in, the, um, it's in one of the FIRE Reddit communities. And here's what this guy said. I hit my Coast Fire number recently. Coast Fire, if you don't know what that means, it means that you have saved enough money that you don't need to invest any more money and you can just let that total amount basically ride until retirement and it will grow on its own so that you don't ever have to invest anymore and you can retire. Okay. So it doesn't mean he's retired age. It just means he's already invested enough to do that later on. I hit my Coast Fire number recently, 200000 at the age of 28 while earning only $30,000 or less per year. However, I regret my entire life. Why? Because of my unhealthy fixation with money. I would simply never spend it. I always like seeing the numbers increase from the age of eight years old. Allowance money, selling candy, make account matching by my parents. I didn't take any risks in life. I didn't look for a high-paying job. I didn't experiment socially with dating, networking, or travel. Saving was easy because I didn't do anything. I spend most of my time thinking about my savings, trying to reduce expenses, bored, or working. I don't think of greater opportunities for self-improvement, no social growth, I've never kissed a girl, etc. When I got my first job, I felt so aimless after hitting a certain saving metrics, maxing out my IRA. What now? What's the point of working? I was clueless and naive, but still, the issue was a deep lack of fundamental purpose in life. So now I have this somewhat big amount of savings, technically coast fire, but I have no goals. What would you recommend? And it was an interesting discussion in, in the Reddit thread. You can read a whole bunch of it. And, and, you know, there's some people going, well, hey, he's only 28. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He can, he can totally shift this now. And, you know, one of the things that Ramit sort of points out, here's what Ramit says. Lots of people saying that, hey, he's 28. He has his whole life ahead of him. Go have some fun. But what they forget is that he spent 10 plus years reinforcing his money obsession. It's now his identity. You don't just change that. You might as well tell a duck-billed platypus to fly. This is going to be a challenge for him for a long time to come. 
you know, Ramit goes on to basically say, you know, look, if you find yourself identifying with a community that reduces your entire life purpose to one single number, your savings rate, uh, and then prizes savings rate over a meaningful life and glosses over what you actually do once you've hit your goals, then you're at severe risk of an unhappy and unsuccessful life. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think at the end of the day, we have to remember, why are we trying to get better with this money stuff in the first place? Yeah, especially when you're married, because I mean, even just some of the Facebook groups that you're in, especially when one person gets focused in on finances and kind of gets to that obsessive level, you can just really start seeing that come between and like breeding resentment between spouses. And it's just bad. I mean, and stuff that people will post about on the Facebook groups is just petty, petty little minor expenses that they get like all bent out of shape over because that's a hundred dollars less that they can invest that month. But they're already like hitting these huge numbers and stuff. Like they'll lay everything out and it's like, okay, there's no reason for you to be making that big of a deal out of this. And all that's going to do is make the other person in the relationship like resentful and not want to have any part of that. So you just, you can just watch people go down these really unhealthy and miserable paths. It's like, that's miserable. Well, and to be clear, I think one of the reasons I'm so so big on this conversation is because I see myself in a lot of those people. Uh, And if you've listened to some of the earliest episodes on this podcast, we talk a lot about some of Hannah and I, certainly our earliest fights about money, but even some some recent ones. 99% of the time when we fight about money, it is me getting bent out of shape over some sort of unexpected expense or, you know, something that ultimately wasn't a big deal, but it surprised me. And I'm, I got too obsessive about our savings and not being able to hit our savings target this month. When in reality, in the macro, we're totally fine. We plan, we save, we budget, all that stuff. And so I shouldn't let that stuff get me bent out of shape. And I have to be really careful to not get so focused on the measure that it ends up having these unintended consequences in, in our relationship. So I think when I really started reading the, the, about Goodert's Law, I just identified with it. I just saw a lot of myself in yeah. that. Uh, and so it's something I try really hard to watch out for. Well, we've gotten around people to uh, who like, you know, know that you do finance stuff and whatever. And so they'll start talking about things and it becomes like very clear that they're really like nitpicking each other and like each other's spending and mm-hmm. like, oh, well, if he spends a dollar on this and that's coming out of his spend of money, or if she spends $3 at the gas station on whatever, that's her spending money, you know, and you have gotten very mindful. I mean, like we, I think probably started out there, you know, like when we were first married, oh, and stuff. Totally. but you've gotten very mindful about never coming at things with that attitude. Like, you come at our budget with a much more relaxed attitude now. And so it's, if we overspend in a certain area, it's not like we don't worry about that. We, we do worry about it and that we go in and make sure that we take that money from somewhere else. And we're going to spend less in another area, but it's not, it's not this like end of the world, resentful totally kind of thing. Yep. And you always go out of your way too to be overly generous. So like, if I spend $2 at a gas station on a snack, you're not going to be like, well, hope you enjoyed that because it's $2 <laughs> out of your spending money. You know, you're like, oh, unexpected expenses. No big deal. Um, so, yeah, I just I just think just checking in with yourself and making sure, especially if you're married, that like you're both 
on the same page and not coming at it with like a a nitpicky yeah you definitely you definitely need to have like when it comes to measuring you know as john doer would say measure what matters right that's the title of his book when it comes to measuring what matters in your finances you you definitely both need to agree on the measure that Mm -hmm. you're focused on you know like for us right in this moment one of the things that we are focused on is saving money for a new roof on this house and so when we're having conversations of should we go out to eat tonight or should we go here or do that or whatever, we're both very mindful of the fact that like that, that money should probably go to money the roof. Probably should go to the roof account, yeah. right? So because we're both in agreement on the measure that we're focused on right now. Yeah, I don't want to like beat this into the ground, but I do feel like it's really important. And I think having these conversations like with your spouse and how you want to to look at things is crazy important. So the other one that we've heard about people doing is like if you go to a coffee shop and you get coffee like together like you're out you get coffee whatever that comes out of like they're spending money for us for me in particular that makes that way less fun like if every time we're like hey let's go get a cup of coffee or if we're walking around and i want a cup of coffee and you're like that's coming out of your spending money (laughs) that that will make me hate budgeting like that would make me hate it. Absolutely. And I think it makes it feel like a much more team-based approach when we have a category that's like, hey, here's our going out together and getting coffee. And so what that, it makes me think through, I could technically go out and get coffee on my own when you have a day full of calls or something, Yep. but I don't want to. I'm like, no, I want us to go together and get coffee. That's like the the actual value we're trying to buy here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like time together and like a fun outing and whatever. So I, if it's, if I'm not doing that, then I'll just have coffee at well, home. And think of the logical extreme here. So this is, this is where, um, you know, and I might, I might step on some toes with this, but this is where when you start going to the logical extreme of keeping money totally, totally, totally separate, it gets a little goofy, right? So let's say that, for example, I said, listen, anything that is just you, you buy that out of your spending money. So now all of your makeup and all the stuff that it takes to be a woman that I don't have to buy, (laughs) that's your spending money, right? Now let's play it the other way. Okay, anything that I do that you don't do, which means I eat, what, one and a half, twice as many calories a day as you? I eat a lot more than you. And so now our grocery bill needs to get split between what we evenly do and then what Nick does over and above what Hannah does and that better come out of his spending money. And it's like, what it just starts getting really really goofy like you can make this get really weird if you start like keeping tabs on each other and stuff the main key thing that i really want to drive home is just that you talk about it with your spouse and figure out what works for you guys so maybe you are in a situation where one of you's out in town a lot more than the other one and really enjoys getting coffee and whatever and you want to do that individually that's no big deal that's fine but just make sure that you have those conversations because we have definitely been around friends who when we go out those situations come up and you can tell that one There's person tension. is not happy with the way it's like an eye roll, like, oh my gosh, kind of situation or whatever. And I think that a lot of people assume that we're that way because we're like budget people or whatever. And I'm like, our budget does not feel like that. No. Like if it did, I would not be on board. Well, yeah, to your point, the takeaway is you need to talk about it. Both you need to agree on the system and you need to both 
be like happy and it doesn't need to be one person saying this is the system we're using and the other person going okay yeah it's both people being equally heard and being equally involved in deciding the system and the measures and what it is that we're going to focus on and if you're single then you need to be bringing like that same self-awareness to the table and making sure that you're not creating some weird unhealthy identity for yourself where you're going to get 10 years down the road and be like miserable with your life totally totally so if I, you know, going back to like the the fire movement measure thing, at the end of the day, I, I like savings rate. And I like a lot of these measurements that we've talked about. I think they're good measurements and they're helpful, especially for things like retirement planning and stuff like that. But you just have to be really careful to not let that be the end all be all target. And you need to have a system where you are regularly reassessing the measurements that you've chosen to decide if that's still the right measurement to focus on going forward. And that's why, you know, you and I, we talk about budgeting a lot. It's a very natural part of what we what we do in our day-to-day and week-to-week life. But we also regularly, you know, once a quarter, a couple times a year, we'll really sit down and go through things with a fine-tooth comb and sort of reassess the way we're tracking things and reassess our targets and our measurements and make sure that we're, you know, recentering ourselves and we've chosen the right stuff for us. Yeah. And I think one more thing that I'll throw in here is Morgan Housel talks about, you know, avoiding the extremes. Yeah. And I do think that's kind of just a good um, gut check when you're deciding things that you want to track and things that you want to focus on improving and all of that. Just checking in with yourself and kind of going, am I getting too extreme with this? Yep. Is this like becoming an unhealthy fixation for me? Um, and if it is, dial it back. Because he talked about the extremes with money of saving a ton and also spending a totally. ton. Totally, yeah. And he, I think he's right. I think the best way that you avoid future regret and are happy with your situation in the long term, because we change as humans and what we want changes. And so the best way to ensure that you're you're happy with the decisions that you've made on a long-term basis is to avoid both of those extremes. Yep, Totally. So before we wrap up, I thought it would be worth it to at least mention some other areas that this comes into play. So obviously, this is a finance podcast. That's what we're focused on. But this whole focusing on the right measurement thing and being careful about what measurements you choose comes into play in almost any area of our life that we're trying to improve. A really easy example is health. If you get super hyper-focused on losing weight as your number one primary objective in an attempt to get healthier— and the way you're measuring getting healthier is solely based on what number you see on the scale. This can have some really unintended consequences, right? Like obsession with scale, obsession with your eating and end up with some eating disorders and different struggles, a whole concept around food, right? And the way that you think about it, it can also lead to not necessarily the healthiest body. You can go to the extreme here, like you were just saying with extremes, you can end up losing a ton of muscle mass. You can get super dehydrated because you're so focused on just seeing that number go down. Yeah. Well, and the other one, this is a real life example. I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Um, when we bought our house and joined a gym, Nick got like real obsessive with not missing a workout class, which is like, basically, if it's the gym, really great. If the gym is open and running classes, you wanted to be, I wanted one. to go to one of them. Yeah. And so, um, that can be really great, but like he was getting to where if we missed one, he was in just like a terrible mood, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, dude, okay, we are working out way more than we've been working out for like 
the entirety of our marriage. So we're still doing pretty good here. Let's not be in a bad mood and like make ourselves miserable if we don't go one day. Like let's dial it back from like an 11 to like a like a strong eight. And <laughs> then we can both be happy here. But I was like, but you are making me hate the gym right now. So and you did good. You dialed it back. <laughs> Well, I have a, I, I definitely, I have a tendency to get into things uh, when I yeah, get into does. them. Yeah, he does. Like you go through, like you were like really into Frisbee for a little while and like, yeah, you, you go through phases very much so. So I got to watch that measurement, but like health to me is just an obvious one where being a healthy person is so much more than just what the scale tells you when you step on it. And oh, so totally. you have to be careful when you're choosing that as your measurement. Totally. This comes into play with business, which I'm going to let you talk about that. Business. It's okay. So business, it comes into play in a lot of ways that, I mean, the, the book measure what matters by John, uh, do we say it's door John door? That whole book is really geared for in the business setting. And one of the most obvious ways this happens is when you're so focused on short-term growth or short-term revenue that you end up sacrificing the long-term. Uh, there's a really famous example uh, from Kodak, so the the camera company, and they actually invented like one of the people at the company was one of the earliest inventors of the digital camera. But the company basically said, "No, nah, we're not doing that. Like we know you got the technology, cool, but if we put this out, this will totally cannibalize our film sales, and we won't be able to sell cameras with film because everyone will use digital cameras, and so then we'll be hosed." They didn't want to kill their main product line for the future long-term because they were so focused on short-term revenue. Well, so what ended up happening? Well, somebody else put out the digital camera and Kodak died in the long run anyways. And this is a massive issue that you see, especially in big businesses, especially businesses that are publicly traded because everything in their business is centered around uh, 90 day metrics and quarterly earnings. And so they will oftentimes sacrifice long term for short term, because in my opinion, they're, they're focusing on the wrong metric or the wrong measurement. Um, but this can happen too when you're a small business owner, and you're so hyper focused on short term cash, that you end up sacrificing the long term. So it's something to be really careful of there. Our last example here. I mean, obviously, this applies in like, every area that you can think of, but the school, like we talked about, like, if you're just chasing grades, that can lead to kind of our experience where we just pick something and then chase the grades and then ended up finishing all of our school kind of going like, oh, we don't like, we don't like any well, of Well, and another one with grades that's like sort of similar to it is like, um, the I guess the word would be clout or like, um, like affirmation or power or like, um, what's the word I'm looking for, for like getting a getting a title, right? A new job, like, oh, I got a promotion. Now I'm the, the I'm, I'm no longer the entry level. I'm like the VP, whatever person, or then I'm the, the, that leveling up when you're measuring your career based on your that. job title, right? Yeah. Based on the clout that you have, based on what other people think about your job. Oh, that, hey, he's an engineer. That's, you know, that's, that was part of what attracted me to engineering, which is ridiculous. That's not a good a measurement, really right? That's got some, <laughs> some really unintended consequences. Uh, that's not at all what you want to be optimizing for. Yeah, I definitely don't like optimizing for the wrong things. Me neither. But you know what I do like? What do you like? Stuff we like. All right, I am thinking ahead this week for stuff that I like and giving a shout out to, I'm, probably, I can't, I'm not doing good with names today, but Ann Patchett and then Amore Tolls. I think that's how you say his I'm pretty name. sure that's right. 
Okay. Um, but anyways, I really like both of them. They're both authors. And Ann Patchett owns the bookstore Parnassus in Nashville. And they are hosting an event with Immortals for his new book that's coming out. I think It's a virtual event. Yeah, it's coming out in October. I'm pretty sure it's the 6th because I remember that date. Yes, you're right. So it's October 6th, a virtual event, and it's Immortals, who is the author of A Gentleman in Moscow and Rules of Civility. And then he's got his third book coming out, um, which is The Lincoln Highway. So they're doing this Immortals in conversation with Ann Patchett. So I'm really excited about that because well, I like both of them and you, as writers. You were telling me, I was pretty mind blown because I haven't gotten to read his books yet, but you were telling me he like worked his whole career not writing. Yeah. So he graduated from Yale College, received an MA in English from Stanford University. And then he worked as a quote, investment professional for over 20 years. There you go. Now he devotes himself full time to writing in Manhattan. I really enjoy his writing. He is hands down my favorite author. But yeah, so I think that's going to be a fun virtual event. Yeah. Works out at two of 10. See what it's it's about. All right. You want to summarize things for us? Yeah. So you need to be really careful when you are choosing the measurements that you want to get focused on when it comes to trying to improve any area of your life, especially your finances. And the way you want to think this through is whenever you're choosing what measurement to pay attention to, you want to first ask why you're wanting to track this, why you want to measure this, why you want to improve it in the first place. What are you actually trying to do here? Then you want to brainstorm all the things that you could measure and try to choose the one or two that are most related to your why that seem to maybe track closest to why you're trying to do this. And then lastly, you need to set some sort of goal, some sort of timeline and uh, to that objective. And at that timeline date, that also gives you a good opportunity to reassess the measurement. For me and Hannah, basically what this looks like for us is having one key objective that we're focused on with our finances, saving a certain amount, saving up for a certain thing like a new roof, uh, trying to pay down debt or whatever it is we're focused on. And then we also have our, our daily habit of checking our budget, keeping it up to date and living by it. And then we reassess that about every three months or so. And it gives us a good natural opportunity to reconvene, reassess, and make sure that we're still using our money uh, in a way that ultimately supports the why that we laid out at the beginning. So hopefully this episode was helpful for you in thinking about how to improve your money and what to pay attention to. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.